90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City, Community Radio. Streaming online at www.kkfi.org. The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Mastery, sad story now. Still waiting for the truth to be told now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It won't be long now, now. Won't be long. Heard the news, heard your rivers all run dry. And on TV, I see missiles in your sky. Word is out. Mercenaries coming in thousands strong. Oh, 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 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Morrow Wolf. Our co host, Karen E. Griffin, is doing her one woman show over there at the Fringe Festival uh, this evening. It's a beautiful show. I saw it on Tuesday night, and I'm very, very proud of Karen. Just the intestinal fortitude and, and energy and, and effort that she put forth. Uh, to bring about that amazing and engaging show, the Fringe Festival. I would uh, like to introduce our guest that we have today in the studio. We have James and Janice Nunley, um, very well known in the community. James, and I'm going to ask you why he's known, you are known as Granddad. (laughs) And... uh, Uh, Janice Nunley were high school sweethearts down there in Columbia, Missouri back in the day. And uh, they are well known in the Kansas City community for health care advocacy, youth outreach, and youth mentoring. Uh, Jim, may I call you Jim? You may. Is a retired health care executive, founder, and administrator of Jackson County Combat. We've all heard of Combat. And that's a progressive anti-drug program that emphasizes treatment over prison terms for drug use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim hosted 
Generation Rap for many years on Saturday mornings on uh, commercial radio station KPRS. And that was a program uh, for uh, youth um, that just... It was just a space for them to talk about their right, issues. Right, right, yeah. And hosted, like it might be a little. No? It, it wasn't more hosted. Just sort of provide them an opportunity to talk. You gave them the microphone. Yes, yes Okay, yes. great. Um, so you both have been, I call you human rights activists because civil rights are human rights. Mm -hmm. So therefore, human rights activists uh, since the 1960s. As a teenager in uh, Columbia, Missouri, where you participated in uh, uh, anti-segregation uh, sit-in mm -hmm. uh, demonstrations, so mm -hmm. I don't know what you're reading from, but where are you getting all this? <laughs> well, you know, I did my research, <laughs> okay, and then I took my notes. All right, <laughs> okay, so that's what I'm reading from. All right. uh, so uh, now, in there, as activists, uh, you guys are focused on. Um, Healthcare advocacy and youth outreach, and just uh, thank you so much for being my guest here today on Urban Connections and uh, for sharing your story with the mm -hmm. community. All right. Um, I think that people who serve the community are are special and very much um, necessary. I think community service got a bad rap. It started to be sort of uh, disrespected back in the Obama era uh, when he was sort of, uh, you know, teased or something about being a community organizer and a community uh, activist. So please, just tell us, tell us about your journey uh, from Columbia, Missouri uh, to here and your journey to become and what influenced you to become a community advocate and activist? But I think the thing that I would have to say is you often hear people say that it takes a village mm -hmm. to raise a child, and it's absolutely true. We grew up in Columbia, Missouri, and it was a village. Uh, your neighbors if your neighbor saw you doing something, it's just like your mom or daddy saw you do something wrong. Mm -hmm. They'd march you home and and tell your parents exactly what you did. And you were, and, and what they told their parents was just like, like I say, it, it actually was correcting you and keeping you on the straight and narrow path. The other thing that makes me feel so good about Columbia, Missouri was that the school that we went to, the teachers took it personal if you did not learn or know what you needed to learn in their classes. They just didn't throw something at you out of a book and tell you to go home and, and, and read it and bring your homework in. I had a teacher that uh, told me, she says, I'm willing to come in. She told all of my classmates, I'm willing to come in before my uh, time, before my class, if you're having any issues with any subject, not just mine, but any subject. And she looked at me and she told me, she said, now, Miss Janice, I live right around the corner from you. 
And I'm telling you that if I don't get it done before school, you can come down to my house and I'll help you. Now, what's your excuse for not succeeding? To me, you had no excuse. <laughs> you had no excuse. And the other thing she, she told me was that she was teaching us about different countries like China and, and different places like that. And I would get so excited and so into whatever they were, I was learning about different countries. And so she uh, called me one time after class. Well, she said, Candace, you get so excited about these different countries. And uh, tell me why you get so excited. I said, I'm just so interested in other countries other than, than America. And I said, I love what I learned about China. I love about Africa. I love about Egypt. I said, but I'll never be able to go any of those countries. And she took my face and she put it in her hands and she made, made me look her in the eyes. She said, let me tell you what, if you can dream it, and you're willing to work hard enough for it, you can do it. She said, now I want you to look me in the eye and tell me that you're going to do that. I said, yes, ma'am, I will. She said, I will not be here probably when you are able to do that, but every time you get on the plane to go somewhere, I'll be there with you wow. in spirit. Wow. Sure enough, I remember those things. I went to China, I went to Kenya, Ghana, Africa, mm -hmm. and when I went to Kenya, I dropped on my knees in tears because I was so overwhelmed by the fact that people had always said to send them back to Africa. Mm -hmm. And I dropped on my knees in tears because I was so overwhelmed that I finally made it home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I, I, and I went to Egypt, and, 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 and every time I went to one of those places, I thought about her. But the other funny thing that she did one time was she caught some of us popping gum. You know how you used to oh. chew gum back in the old days yeah. and pop it and make noise and be unladylike? Uh-huh. She told every one of us to bring a package of gum the next day to school. And the ones that didn't bring gum to school, she made them go across the street. Remember the little place called Cozy's Gym? She made, made them go across the street. And if you didn't have money, she gave you money. She made everyone was sat there and threw a whole package oh of gum. You got over it. Didn't we got over that <laughs> popping that gum in class. But what I'm saying is, those were the kind of teachers that we had back in the day. That they lived in their neighborhood. Some of them did, but they took it personal mm -hmm. about you learning what you needed to learn. And, and and to this day, I have that spirit inside of me that whatever I'm going to do in life, I'm going to do the best I can because I was taught that. And again, too, we were raised to think family. Mm -hmm. in, my, in my family was seven of us kids. But my mother's thing was that you were going to love each other, you were going to support each other, you were going to be there for each other. If she ever heard you say anything mean to the other one, you know what your punishment was? You didn't get a spanking. Mm -hmm. She made you wash dishes. Mm -hmm. One of you washed them and one of you dried them for a whole week. And when you got through, you had to kiss, kiss each other on oh, the jaw. I knew it was going to be something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so that was a kind of upbringing that we had that made us the kind of people that we are today. You know, and my dad was one of those kind of people. We didn't have a whole lot of money or anything, but anybody could come to our house and eat. Mm. Now, you grew up in segregated Columbia, right, Missouri. Right, right, right. The schools that you attended were seg all black. segregated. They were right, all black. Right. Your teachers were black. And they cared. And they cared. So right. it seems like, you know, your that that was a formula for success that we're missing right uh, right now. Caring and about each other, caring about your neighbors. 
and also know. having expectations right. of 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 intelligence they she she said you were smart she said you were worthy she said you were you know you were to behave and uh, in a respectful way and respect and yourself you and each other and you were going to be a lady and uh keeping mr nunley straight my father told him he said let me tell you what young man uh-huh. you bring my daughter to the front door you don't leave her on a car or pick her up on the corner and to this day mr nunley uh-huh. picks me up Right in front door, he takes me to a restaurant. He lets me out in the front door. So that's that's the kind of upbringing we had. Uh, that's absolutely um, beautiful. And um, would that it was still the same way? I, I read something today, just today, that talked about schools in Texas. They were getting rid of librarians. Oh, mm-hmm. They're getting rid of librarians in schools in Texas, and instead, the library is going to be a detention <gasps> center. Uh-uh. No way. Okay? It's going to be a Mm-mm. detention center. So that if you were misbehaving or doing something, that I guess that'll be in-school suspension, and, and you'll be sent to the library where you'll get alternative learning mo- modalities thrown at you, Mm-mm. and you can still check out books but you know what's going to be the effect of that you're you're gonna you're gonna now associate reading and books it's with negative. punishment it's a negative yeah yeah it's Can't incredible believe it. mm. tell us more if you will about columbia missouri i think from what i've read about you uh um and i had no idea this was the case because when we think of columbia missouri we think of you know, the great University of, of Missouri at uh, Columbia, that venerated institution um, that has uh, supported education and graduated so many people. That's all this is true uh, down through the years. But you grew up in segregated Columbia. What was that like? How Compare and contrast. What was the name of that little restaurant-like thing? That what they call the minute in mm-hmm. that you got thrown out on your head because <laughs> you went and sat down at the counter, mm-hmm. but it was crazy. It was right at the edge of where our school was. Mm-hmm. You could go to the back window, and, and this get, was what year? God, what year was that, Jim? Late fifties, yeah. early sixties. Okay, you could go to the back window, and they would give you food, sell your food, but you couldn't go inside and get it or sit down. Mm-hmm. But Jim, Jim, he. He, he went and sat at the counter, <laughs> and they actually tossed him out on his head. That, that's real stuff. When, they, when you see it on TV now, uh-huh. you think that's TV life, but we really lived it. And, and who was that that you marched with down in Columbia, down the street with Giselle? Well, I think, yeah, that was just when Martin Luther King was killed. Right. But I did march with Martin Luther King in Selma, Alabama. In 1965. Mm-hmm. What so, what motivated you to go sit in at this uh, diner in Columbia, Missouri, knowing well, how dangerous it was? I really don't know for sure, you know, since it was some time ago, but I do know that the restaurant was right in the middle of the black community. Yeah, right on mm-hmm. the edge. It, uh-huh. So it was more of a insult, uh, you know, that they wouldn't serve people inside but would take their money outside that sort of thing and and it's that dichotomy of our lives that we probably live by internally but at the same time recognize that there's 
still segregation or still racial unfairnesses that exist and they may not be as blatant as they were before. Um, I don't know the motivation. I think it was just probably my expectation. But, you know, most people didn't just took it and that sort of bothered me. You know, they just, you know, it was just sort of natural. But, you know, it, and I really didn't mean to raise a fuss behind it. But, but the NAACP got behind you too right, and, and encouraged you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know this about Jim and he doesn't talk about it, but he actually ran for mayor of Columbia and would have, if he had a one, would have been the youngest mayor ever and, and to expect a black person to be mayor at that time. But he was just, he was just courageous enough to even try it. He said he didn't necessarily know that he, or, uh, think that he would win. He just wouldn't let them know, well, I got nervous enough to try. Well, yeah, okay. What did you guys study uh, at MU, and how many black students were at oh, MU when you Oh, that's a story to tell. Mm -hmm. Tell them about that. Yeah. Well, we, I was probably one of the first 25 black people known. Now, we kind of got to go back in those times, uh, late 50s and early 60s. There was not even a race part of the application. In mm -hmm. other words, there wasn't an expectation that anybody would come there that would not have been identified by color. That's number one. But the second part was that there were 17,000, uh, I'll say, Caucasian students, mm -hmm. and then just a handful of us. It, um, it, was, it, was, it was slightly demeaning, but maybe just really an ultimate level of out-of-placeness. Tell them about the test thing. <laughs> that, 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 that's something to, to share. Well, I was receiving a scholarship, um, you know, and I took the, what is now known as the ACT, and I made a near-perfect score, score on it. And um, they didn't believe that that would occur uh, in a all-black school, especially one with, like, 80 or 57 or black students in the high school, whole high school. But I placed well enough on the national test order that they asked me to take it again. And of course, I was able to get the same result. But no, not they only did not only did they ask him to take it, they had someone sitting in there watching him to make sure he wasn't cheating. Yeah, and that was that was kind of demeaning, but it was also kind of the way the world was at that time. I mean, I, I can just see this. I, I see myself shaking with rage you know i don't know if i could how did you even manage to focus on te test taking under those circumstances i don't know that I, I don't know that i even felt that kind of rage i think more importantly it was maybe an opportunity to go to the university of missouri that was probably overwhelming and at that time the desire to integrate wasn't quite as quite like it is choice-wise today, where you can go to many HBCUs and whatever. But it was um, it was just, just something that my parents kind of took as normal, and we complied and took the test all over again. And it was kind of ironic that during the time that I was actually given a scholarship to go there, an academic scholarship, and then, but I also had a choice to go to Notre Dame and several other places 
but I chose to go there mainly because of the um, influence of the state NAACP. Yeah, the community really mm -hmm. wanted him to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really tragic, you know, that, that you can't imagine times like that, I mean, today, because, you know, we're so far elevated from it, but it's from that kind of saisu that allows us to keep going, you know, even in these times. And so when we reach back to get children, we reach back with a, with kind of a glossary of social experiences that are, that are tantamount to many PhDs, uh, because it, it, the saisu that comes with that, the, the experience that comes with that is probably greater than any doctoral program that anybody could give you. Now, was your class yeah. the last one to graduate from Douglas? Yes. Now, yeah. Douglas was the black, black school. Black school. Mm -hmm. High and, school. And my, my class was forced to do it. We had to integrate at the time that I went, and I went to a, a Hickman High School, and the thing that really broke my heart and crushed me was that I was a cheerleader, and one one of the pretty decent cheerleaders, you know, the, at the Douglas. So I decided, well, I'm going to try out for cheerleader. Of course. When I went out there to Hickman, and I could do all the flips and everything, you and splits, all of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I uh, tried out, and did my my very best, and did all the flips without any any issues at all. And a Caucasian young girl, three times my size couldn't hardly do the pom-poms mm -hmm. one over me. Mm -hmm. And I I had a little bit of an attitude, not where I would be verbalize it, but I, it really crushed me because I, I just knew I was going to be a shoe-in, you know. And you should have been, of mm -hmm. course. But uh, those kinds of things that might sound, you know, trite to somebody and else. Born. And foreign to somebody else, but it was real. Or can be soul crushing. Yeah, it was. And what a disappointment. Mm -hmm. um, I hope you got to do other things that made up for oh, yeah. it in other oh, yeah. times. Um, I read uh, that in 1938, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Lloyd Gaines, a mm -hmm. black man who wanted to pursue law at the University of Missouri. Um, however, the state uh, hurried up to create a uh, a law school for black students only. Mm -hmm. They what they do? Build a shack or something and call no. that the black law school? No, no. It and was, that's where he went. Well, almost, but they certified a law school at Lincoln University, which was the HBCU nearby Columbia. But but the idea of that kind of thing is not that far apart emotional even though it sounds like a long time ago mm -mm. but but it was within our century of living someone said that we had the fortune of living in two centuries and and of course they're very much unalike and sometimes unheard of but those those of us who carried from one generation to the other are kind of for lack of a better word uh, positively mixed up uh -huh. <laughs> And, um, so, uh, as opposed to modern day, well, uh, younger folks who are who are absolutely mis mixed <laughs> up, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no yeah. doubt about it, mixed yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you talk just a little bit more about yeah. Columbia, Missouri, in, well, in the 1960s, and what was just like? What was it like to be a black citizen in Columbia, 
Missouri because it doesn't, I, my kids live in Columbia now and they went to MU. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, in, in a way I'm, I'm kind of glad that they're, they're, they're there instead of here because of all the, a lot of the stuff that goes on. Well, the one thing uh, that here. stands out in my mind was respect. I can remember being a young woman, young lady, walking down the street, and it was a place called Sharp Inn. And Sharp Inn was where they had, like, had a, a joint, you know, where men drank and whatever. And me and another young lady was walking down the street, and some men were over there at Sharp Inn, and they were being kind of loud and saying some bad words. And this one man looked at me and said, snapped his finger. And when he snapped his finger, it meant for them to shut up. And he pointed. He said, those were young women, and we will treat them with respect. Now, wow. here they were, drinking, having a good time. Mm -hmm. But that showed the kind of respect that they insisted, even though they were having fun, mm -hmm. that they showed young women. Mm. That's, that's different. Mm -hmm. That's different. Yeah. I remember it to this day. Yeah, and I don't want to be a, a person that knocks Columbia because progressively it has sort of outlived its questionable past and but it does it is very moving to understand that when that stops or when that ceases and and in many different ways things are exactly the same and that may sound bleak but it's every, neither generation, no matter how forward thinking it has, has been able to move the needle to the point to where there isn't always racial unrest in this country. And Columbia was just kind of the same. It was, it was America. It was America, it, <laughs> it was, was America. America. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, mm -hmm. this year, uh, Janice and Jim, you guys, have been selected to be Grand Marshals on August 5th of the Black and White Ball Town Reunion Parade in mm -hmm. Columbia, mm -hmm. Missouri. Mm -hmm. Talk about that honor and how, what a contrast that is. From, d did you ever think you would be the Grand Marshal of that event? Never. When you were growing? <laughs> Never. <laughs> that wasn't in your mind at all. And we went to the parades, you mm -hmm. know, and we were in awe when we uh, saw you know, the, the people that were grand marshals and, and the things that people went through to try to make the parade a big deal. In fact, uh, my brother was uh, a black cowboy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he owned horses and things, and he was one of the people that in the parade, he rode the horses. He rode a horse in the parade, and uh, the sweet thing I'm hearing now is that his son is oh, going to do that this cool. year, too. Cool. So it's, it's, it's quite an honor you know, that uh, we're being asked. Mm -hmm. and, and what are the stipulations? What do you have to wear? And do you get a, do you get a scepter and all that? We don't crown? know any of that. In <laughs> fact, the gentleman that called to ask us if we would do it mm -hmm. uh, said you wear whatever you would wear to the park. Oh, okay. You know, cause he asked me, he said, well, what's the dress attire? And he said, well, whatever you wear to the park. Okay, because the I think they're gonna end up in, a, in the park. Okay, uh -huh. all righty. Yeah, and then the other part I wanted to add to what you were saying, Janice, is critically, well, let me just say that the worst part about intergenerational racism is that you're always at some stage a 
of unnecessary awkwardness. Mm -hmm. And that awkwardness deters or certainly uproots any positivity that may lay inside of you. And that, that continued awkwardness doesn't leave as quickly as it used to, but more importantly, it's clear by this generation that the other generation really was kind of right about things, um, not making them up because it's just like a, this statement that they made about Florida here recently that um, some black people benefited from oh, slavery. Jesus wept. Now, I'm sorry. Now that, it didn't surprise me that it was said, but it was surprised me that it was said so publicly mm -hmm. and so credibly. Yeah. And um, and now, you know, I will argue that point that I don't think there's anybody in the mm -hmm. world which will say that's in experienced slavery that would have said, or even any kind of segregation would have said it's a happy thing or that we benefited from it. But it does fall with the times that I saw many uh, caricature of people who were portrayed as happy. Uh, yes. And that is the part that lives on. It's mm -hmm. the only part that kind of is accepted as worthy of being written down as our history. Mm -hmm. And that worthiness is unworthy in and of itself, but it still exists that there are people who think we are happy now, the part that we've never, ever been able to overcome is that social or racial asthma in our society. We've never been able to overcome it, no matter how, what generation it is. And that's why, you know, it kind of lives because you may think, or the other people may think we're very happy, but we ain't hardly happy. Um, you remember Stevie Wonder, you <laughs> said he's amazed and amused about the things that they do. And, um, but he said, you know, if you ask us, you ain't done nothing yes, yet. Done <laughs> yeah, nothing. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Well, I think, uh, again, too, uh, uh, we feel honored because I think people see you grow from a small town like Columbia, come and move to a place like Kansas City, and, and they, they know that we do a radio show called Plain Talk about diabetes and more. And uh, they know that Jim has been involved in combat program and uh, what father's court and various things. And I've been a nurse for 40 some years and I re retired from the VA as an operating room nurse. But the greatest thing that I can say is that we have served and I felt blessed that I could give back to the veterans. In fact, I used to get up and go to work earlier than I was supposed to be there, walk through the uh, waiting area and shake the soldiers' hands, uh, the military veterans' hands, and shake their family member hand, hands and thank them for the service. And I, I don't know another job that I've ever had that made me feel any better than to be able to serve those veterans and take care of them like I'd want to be taken care of or my family wanted to be taken care of. In that case, then that's not that's not work. That's, I, I felt blessed yeah. to be able to give back. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you for sharing, you guys. Uh, we're going to have to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Jim and Janice Nunley, um, community activists and mm -hmm. advocates. It's been on the scene in the state of Missouri making a difference for decades, and they're sharing their story with us here today 
on Urban Connections. So please stay with us. We'll continue our conversation after these messages. Let's explore, let's question, let's decolonize together on Ebony's Bones. Tune in every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. The deadline for Jackson County homeowners to appeal reassessments has been extended to July 31. Some homeowners have seen their assessments double, reportedly forcing some to sell. Jackson County has an automated online appeal filing system or email Board of Equalization at jacksongov.org or call 816-881-3309. This message is a public service of KPFI. Stevie Wonder, you haven't done nothing. You tuned in 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Wolf. Our co our our guests in studio today are Jim and Janice Nunley, uh, community service activists and advocates here in the Kansas City, Missouri area recognized statewide they're originally from columbia missouri and they made their mark there as well we're blessed to have you here with us today to share your story of service and activism now i didn't know you were a nurse but i'm not surprised Mm -hmm. janice that you are a nurse how did you get that inspiration and did you go to nursing school in columbia I actually went to LPN school in Columbia, mm-hmm. and I, uh, after we, when we moved to Kansas City, I worked uh, in a nursing home for about 10, 12 years while my kids were small, and then uh, I always wanted to go back to get my RN, and I was blessed to have Jim to stand by my side and help me with the kids, and I went back and got my RN. That's absolutely fabulous. Yes. And before we get out of here, I'd like you guys to tell us your secret of longevity and success of your marriage and your relationship down through uh, all these <laughs> years. Because 
Um, it's it's a it's a gift. It's I guess an art, a science, a way of well, living. Fifty eight years in August. Fifty eight years. Yes. That's, that's a, more than a lifetime. Well, I think the the important thing is to support and love each other, and and give each other the room and space to be yourself. Uh, Jim has been always very involved in different supporting and mentoring different people and uh, being involved like with Generation Rap, uh, you know, he'd go every Saturday morning and I as a partner would go with him mm -hmm. and they actually called me Nana. Okay. So it's granddad and Nana. And, Nana, gotcha. and, and I feel like, you know, that's part of it is supporting each other irregardless. And what was, you chuckled just then, <laughs> Jim. Because he thinks I kind of rule and run things, but that's not yeah. true. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's lovable incarceration. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if that's the case, I'd love to serve your, your sentence, Mr. Oh, Lundley. my goodness. <laughs> She's a prisoner of your love, Jim. How about yeah. that? So talk, talk about coming to Kansas City and uh, the work that you have done here. We've heard of, of combat. What is, what is combat? Well, it's kind of an acronym for community-backed anti-drug tax. I was kind of drafted into that job after uh, working at the Samuel U. Rogers Health Center for a number of years. And it... I guess the best way I can describe it is I've always been given tough assignments in my work, and one of those works was to make a health corporation work right in the middle of the worst part of town. And, uh, and when I say work, I'm talking about like be financially stable, but also employ and also deliver good health care. And deliver health care was kind of mixed bags for a long time, but more importantly, when you put anything into a place that's not uh, economically favorable, we usually expect failure. And uh, you liken that, obviously, to the educational system, that if you put bad kids in or if you put not smart kids in, you shouldn't expect smart kids to come out. But anyway, with that kind of dual concept, we were able to make a national appearance um, for our health, uh, I, guess I would say, experiment at the time. And uh, it gave um, appointments to people who hadn't been used to appointments that just go and wait all day. And it was just kind of a, a real social experiment that worked. And of course, that's how I got the assignment at combat because they needed to make it work, and of course I was given the assignment. Since I had tough, I had no experience whatsoever in the criminal justice system. As a matter of fact, it took me several days to even find out where everything was. But with that, that program has lasted 30 or 40 years, and it was a public electorate that put that program in place. But I guess the real part was it was meant for law enforcement only, and we took a side that our community would have gotten only more police and more prosecutions and more arrests as opposed to improved health care. In other words, the other part of the communities 
would have received better protection and home value increases and all the positive things, but our community would have been the one probably more impacted negatively. And Mm -hmm. so they worked with me and then we were able to put prevention, drug prevention into it and also drug treatment. And it really turned out to work. It reduced crime. You know, the thing that I really, really wish you would talk about too was the father in court Mm -hmm. thing that you helped create. Mm -hmm. Why don't you talk about that? Because I, I, I was really impressed and 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 felt blessed that instead of locking up young men what was it that you you chose to do yeah well we basically um well child support is always an issue as a matter of fact uh, the jail at the time was filled with a lot of uh, black people or race it was racially one-sided i call it and um, But most of the people there were for what we call victimless crimes. And um, they disintegrated the family system, but it, it put a onerous on young men that they were never able, ever able to shed. And the system was just kind of geared to locking up people as opposed to addressing the issues which may underlie why they are not paying child support. So anyway, this is where the father in court comes around. Now that that was probably my best work, but at the same time it was probably a little bit reluctant to be heralded only because of the fact that it showed that it could be done. And in the first year, a million dollars was collected that had not been ever collected from people with child support issues. Well, what were some of the principles and and processes that you developed and put into place? Well, it was kind of based on health care because, and some of it was sociological, but one of the principles was that you might have an addiction to alcohol or drugs which may get in your way of clear thinking or what they call Or able to get a job. Or able to get a job. Or keep a job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, And, of course, that program still stands today but believe me, there was a great mountain to climb in the uh, resistance to that kind of thinking because the only alternative was, you know, that people would go to jail if you didn't pay your child support. Which is an oxymoron because how can you earn money to that's pay your said. child support? That's what he said, if right? you're locked up. If you're locked up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what he said. Well, at least it wouldn't make you very interested in, in complying with anything once you've done it. But it worked out, and it was those kinds of. And a lot, a lot of guys uh, actually, after they got themselves straight, ended up being pretty decent fathers and, and, and involved in their kids' lives too, mm-hmm. didn't they? Now that was also one of the requirements that you did, and rather than to, rather than to sort of lament the fact that fathers didn't bond with their children, part of the. Part of the goal here is you're either going to jail for noncompliance, but let it be for something other than just not paying your child support. So to comply or get people to comply, we did require some interaction between the um, father and their children because the separation seemed to be part of the problem. You know, just, I mean, if you don't bond, you know, and mothers kind of have a one-upsmanship on that kind of activities because the bonding is forever. And of course, fathers sometimes never bond with their children. Mm-hmm. Of course, and the courts seem to be to be uh, 
of that kind of spirit that the bonding would never take place. But it did, didn't mm-hmm. it? But it did. And, wow. um, so I was kind of like, that's where you probably got that term of activist. I don't consider myself as an activist as much as it is just seeing the whole point of view because I really think I'm a very much of a conservative person and I want to be an American and I don't want to be anything else. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to be have any kind of other title than that of American citizen. I'm proud to be that. But, but some of the flaws continue to show up and those flaws, if unaddressed, will become cancer. And that cancer will become even worse than the problem um, than you could have addressed earlier. And so earlier intervention is kind of like what we are, both in healthcare and in all other racial matters. And um, it's just that simple. It's Hard, just, but simple. Yeah. It's, 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 it's sad that... <laughs> We still have to talk about health care in terms of, of race. Oh, yes. That is mm-hmm. so sad. we got to take another break. All right. We'll come back. We'll continue our conversation with Jim and Janice Nunley, who um, have served this community in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, for decades now, and they're here today sharing their story. I'm still saying it's activism because you get things done. <laughs> and active, that means you're taking action and 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 results flow from it so in that sense i'm i'm referring to you guys as activists okay good enough that's okay. fair enough all righty so please stay tuned everybody to urban connections here at 90.1 fm we'll be back after these messages would you like to host and produce a radio show kkfi is looking for more volunteer programmers to join our team we offer training experience, and a diverse community of dedicated individuals who want to keep the airwaves free. If you're interested in becoming a volunteer programmer, please contact us via email at programming at kkfi.org. KKFI has a new and improved presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to like and follow your community station on social media at KKFI 901-FM. Thanks for supporting this station since 
90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Urban Connections is the program. I'm your host, Donna Wolf. Our guests today in studio, Jim and Janice Nunley, um, have been in our community. We're blessed to have you here in Kansas City. I'm, uh, can I say I'm glad you moved here from, uh, from Columbia because you sure have made a big uh, difference here. Um, talk about your health care advocacy, and I keep running into terms uh, associated with you uh, talking about um, healthy living mm-hmm. um, uh, modalities and food as medicine and education about diabetes, things things like that. Talk to us about about your uh, work in those areas, please. Well, the one thing that we really stress uh, along the way is to know your family history. Back in the day, and when I talk back in the day, I'm talking about when we were younger, you didn't know anything about your family having heart problems or diabetes or anything like it. It was just I don't know why they kept it such a secret, but you didn't know anything about it. But uh, being a nurse, like I said, you know, I know how important it is. Uh, my father had uh, diabetes, and uh, and because I knew that, I knew the things that I needed to do to kind of safeguard myself from, from having diabetes. And I had a sister that ended up, uh, she had diabetes also, and she was kind of heavy set. But after she lost weight and started eating like she was supposed to eat, she didn't have to take medicine anymore, and I never have. So mm-hmm. I know that's important. Yeah, but I think the real part that made us, when we started doing this, I had been diagnosed as having diabetes, early stages. Type 2. Type 2. But nothing, nothing that could, but they did advise that do exercises and watch our eating habits and whatever. And so Janice was kind of like, as a nurse, kind of took charge, as she does of everything. And, um, and we were able to lower my um, A1C from 9 down to 5 just by sort of changing our lifestyle. Portion control. Portion control, yeah. <laughs> and we like to always say that it was practical tips rather than you know, the tips that we hear about today that makes it seem so impossible. But she started serving us out of smaller plates, which, you know, really did reduce the amount that you were eating. But more importantly, it said to you every time that you would eat that you can actually do with less. And once mm-hmm. you start eating less, you don't want all of that because mm-hmm. you actually go would go to a buffet and he got to the point where he wasn't eating a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Some of it is your watchful eye, but you no. Know. Watchful eyes. I got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Anymore. Uh, not that we're, you know, uh, doing diagnosis or prescribing medicine or anything here, but any more practical tips on on a healthy lifestyle and, and food as medicine? Drinking plenty of water is very, very important. How much mm-hmm. is plenty? Uh, I, I do this. I drink eight, eight ounces of water a day and I start at six o'clock in the morning and by ten or eleven o'clock I've got pretty much all of that in. Okay. And how do you technically a woman should drink about two liters 
and a man should drink about three liters of water. So how do you measure that, Janice? When you do you start your day with two liter bottles? How do you do? How do you? I measure actually it? have cups. Okay. The the red plastic cups. Okay. That that, that I I drink it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you count them. Okay. Yeah, and my my way of doing it is basically creating opportunities to drink water, because it really. It really takes you to be conscious that you really have to drink water, but but it, the fact that you have to makes it a little bit difficult to do. So the opportunities, for example, if you go out to eat, and the first thing usually on uh, on that you're served is water. You can always ask That's for water. two glasses right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. The second, if you're taking any kind of medication, you know, like rather than just drink enough to get the medication down, you can drink a little bit more there. And the other thing is that every time you go to the bathroom, you know, to urinate, you know, if you said, I'm sending water out, then put that water back in, okay. it becomes kind of a, it becomes a symbolic opportunity to, to be healthy. And um, so just those little healthy tips. We've got more, but that'll do. <laughs> That's very, very helpful. And we're, we're out of time. Okay. I told you this hour is going to fly by. This hour flew by. And thank you both so much uh, for being here with us today. Go ahead. The one thing I want to do talk about, too, is COVID. When we uh, were uh, working with the people with COVID, mm-hmm. we really, really worked very hard in the community getting people to go and get those vaccinations. And we're really proud of the fact that we were able to do that. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you've done. We saved a lot of lives. <laughs> And but that's, that's but the one thing that we got with on that mm-hmm. is COVID sent with its instructions that if you were diabetic or if you were asthmatic or, or if you had certain diseases, that that puts you at a higher risk, which actually means two things. The first thing it means that, you know, you better receive the alert and do something about it, mm-hmm. about getting uh, inoculated. But the second thing, it really means that the diabetes and the asthma wasn't taken care of very well to begin with mm-hmm. if it was an issue. Mm-hmm. So I don't see COVID as a separate entity. I see it as a collusion of activities mm-hmm. or disparities or just overlookedness is that contributed to COVID. Well, so, you, and you just need to take care of your health. You need to take care of your health because right. if you don't do the diabetes right, you make you much more susceptible to other, other things. things. That, yes. And, and that's, that's where we were. And nobody ever talks about the victories that we black people experience doing COVID. Well, nobody ever talks about it. All that. right, well, I'm going to invite you guys to come back all again. Right, good <laughs> and we'll talk about victories. <laughs> all right, very good. Thank you so much. And thank you for having us. It oh, really is. A, thank you. Really it it a was a pleasure to have you here, Janice and Jim Nunley. Yeah, um, you, you can get an idea of who leads, right? <laughs> yeah, I see who runs things. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. And please stay tuned, everybody, at the top of the hour for Brother Jay and Changing Narratives. Hmm. That sounds like a good program. Oh, it is. <laughs>